This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Friday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Browns, Texans preview. Lance Friesen will join us to give us the Texans scouting report shortly. Tyler Shoemaker will also join us to give you his best bets. It's his flu game here. Uh, You're going to hear he's struggling with his voice a little bit, but he showed up and uh, was able to give us some bets for this game. But first, Mary Kay is here, Ashley is here, and we are going to get you ready for Sunday's game in Houston with three things to watch. We'll be back later with our picks for the game, but first, let's just discuss Let's get this game set up, Mary Kay. What should people watch for on Sunday? Well, you know, I think one of the things that the Browns are really going to have to watch out for, you've got Joe Flacco out there. One of his best attributes, obviously, is being able to throw the ball downfield to Amari Cooper, now to David Njoku. And in order to be able to do that, he's going to have to be protected. And this is a very, very good, stout defensive front they're going up against. And D'Amico Ryans is an excellent coach. He comes from San Francisco, you know, worked under Robert Sala there. And they know how to rush the passer. And that is what they're going to try to do. I think they have something like five guys that have five sacks. And uh, they're going to be coming after this makeshift offensive line of the Cleveland Browns. Now, it's good news that Joel Batonio should play in this game. And we have seen Ethan Posick out there practicing the last couple of days. So they'll have more offensive linemen than they did the last game. But still, they don't have their two starting tackles. That's still a spot of vulnerability. And that is mostly what I'm going to be watching in this game. Yeah, this isn't like... Well, it is a little bit like the Ravens. Now, the Ravens are the the league leaders in sacks, and and the Texans are not. But it's a little bit like the Ravens in the sense that maybe there's not like a Miles Garrett out there, but they come at you in waves. They bring different people, and, of course, they're a well-coached team on the defensive side of the ball. So it's sort of a a tricky matchup because it's not just like – like when you play the Browns, you know, hey, we're going to double-team Miles Garrett, right? We're going to triple-team Miles Garrett. When you're playing this team, it could kind of come from anywhere. Yeah, I was looking at the stats today, and their four starters have at least five sacks. Jonathan Greenard leads the way with 12 and a half. And you look at their production, and I'm like, this is sort of what we envision for the Browns defensive line and just haven't really gotten, you know, those secondary guys behind Miles Garrett to step up. So I agree. I mean, I think this is like one of the key matchups to watch in this game because, That pass rush is, you know, sneaky good, I think, and has been effective for them this year. And with the Browns offensive line the way it is right now and all the injuries they have there, um, it's definitely 
going to be a key in protecting Joe Flacco, that more traditional kind of quarterback when you don't have the mobile guy behind you as the line. Yeah, and you're going to hear Lance coming up talk a lot about Jonathan Grenard. Uh, 52 tackles, 12 and a half sacks, 15 tackles for loss. Uh, but, you know, you just kind of look through some of their numbers. These other guys bring pressure, and they're pretty good against the run, too. So it's not just, like, the pass rush for this team. And Mary Kay, it seems like the Browns did okay keeping Joe Flacco clean uh, against the Bears last week when they were so shorthanded. But, you know, just like with everything with this team, at some point these things are going to catch up to you. And if you've got Jaron Christian and James Hudson starting a tackle, you know, that could lead to it. All it takes is one hit, I guess, is what I'm getting at. It's like one hit to lead to a pick six or, or something like that to completely change the outcome of a game. Yeah, I really think that, uh, you know, D'Amico Ryans has established himself as a really, really good coach already this year. And he's doing a tremendous job with these guys. And you know he's going to find the weakness and attack it. That's what they're going to do. I mean, they're just going to get upfield. They're going to get there in a hurry. They're going to attack, attack, attack. Now, Joe is able to get the ball out quickly. Uh, but if you really want to play that vertical downfield game, you have to have a little bit of time. Uh, so that's definitely something to watch. Uh, he was sacked four times in the last game and hit eight times by the Bears. Okay, so that shows some vulnerability there. And, you know, I think this is something to really keep an eye on for this game. I, I think they're going to come after him even more so than the Bears did. I mean, it doesn't even stand out to me that much that the Bears were attacking that aggressively, but I think these guys really are going to do that. And as we know, Joe emerged from that game with a tweaked calf. So he's heading into this game, even though he was full go today, he was limited yesterday. So he's heading into this game with a little bit of a calf injury. And as Juan Thornhill will be the first to tell you, a little bit of a calf injury, if... Uh, you know, if you step the wrong way or, you know, something doesn't quite go your way with that can turn into a little bit something more. So they have to keep an eye on that. As of right now, uh, you know, it's not supposed to be an issue. That's what Alex Van Pelt told us today, the OC. Uh, but I think it's something to, I think it's something to keep an eye on. And I, I think, as you mentioned, uh, you know, they're 12 and a half sacker. Only a half behind Miles Garrett. I mean, do we ever hear even hear his name, Grenard? Do we? Do you ever hear <laughs> no, it? No, not really. I mean, no. And he's one half a sack uh, behind Miles. And you know, he's going to be coming after. He's probably going to be coming after James Hudson more than anybody. And um, you know, so that's that's really something to watch. And the Browns are going to have to prepare for that. They're going to have to try to do some, you know, some chipping, maybe some double teaming and whatnot. Um, but but this is the area of the game. This is where the Texans can win this game when they have a backup quarterback out there in Case Keenum. And Ashley, I, again, categorize this under things I never thought I would have said in August. But Joe Flacco's mobility has actually been kind of helpful for this Browns offense. Yeah, it hasn't, I think, looked like we all thought it might when Joe first got here and you take into account, okay, he's coming in off of his couch essentially to now play quarterback for this team late in the season. But yeah, I mean, he hasn't looked that bad, bad, the little boots that they can do and the rollouts, like he's executed on a lot of that. And again, I think 
like this offense is, you know, that, you know, different than the one they would run with Deshaun Watson. The fact that Kevin Stefanski is able to do some of that stuff with his play calling, I think has helped open things up because that's coupled with Joe's ability to take these long shots downfield to guys like Amari Cooper and Marquise Goodwin, like we saw last week. Okay, Ashley, what are you watching? Yeah, well, we alluded to it there at the end, but I'm very curious to see Case Keenum going up against this Browns defense because there is some familiarity there. This defense obviously looks very different in terms of its scheme than it did when Case Keenum was here, but I do think where that knowledge of each other comes in handy, to me, it helps that the Browns defense knows he's the kind of guy that can come in and win a football game as a backup if he has to. He has that experience. He's done it before. He's done it here. Um, also, obviously, a ton of familiarity between him and Kevin Stefanski. But, yeah, I mean, like we've been saying all week, suddenly this matchup, even though it's the matchup of the two mid-30s quarterbacks, as Mary Kay wrote in her one story, I do think it's enticing because of that familiarity on both sides and because of the fact that he went out there last week and won them a game against the Titans when um, C.J. Stroud was still in the concussion protocol there, too. Okay, Mary Kay, I'll take this hit for you. I'll I'll be the one that says this today. Let's let's go through the list. All right. Sure. Week one, Joe Burrow, one leg. Week two, Kenny Pickett. Week three, Ryan Tannehill benched. Uh, week who's now benched, I should say. Week four, Lamar Jackson. Right. So there there we go. Mm-hmm. Week six, Brock Purdy, but they lost Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Trent Williams in that game. Mm-hmm. Gardner Minshew, week seven. Geno, week eight. Clayton Toon, week nine. Lamar again, obviously. Then it was it was Kenny Pickett, right? In week 11, it was still Kenny? Yeah, mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett. Uh, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Trevor Lawrence, and of course, Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Not exactly a murderer's row outside of a few names there. Yeah, it's, it's really not. I mean, they were supposed to uh, face Kyler Murray, not Clayton Toon. They got the one-legged Joe Burrow. They got the one-legged Trevor Lawrence for the most part. Um, and they th- should point out they lost to Russ and Matthew Stafford too. Right. And they're getting, um, you know, they're getting case instead of CJ. And then as you keep looking ahead, they're getting Zach Wilson instead of Aaron Rodgers. They're getting Jake Browning instead of Joe Burrow. So it's a completely different season than it was supposed to be. Uh, it's not like they're just facing, you know, two, even three backups. They're facing like six backup quarterbacks that they weren't supposed to face this year. Uh, so it's, it's really been something, and I think also something to keep an eye on when we look ahead to next year, when the schedule comes out and we see which quarterbacks they're going to face next year. Of course, they will, they'll have a tougher, um, you know, in, just in terms of they'll probably, you know, they'll have the second-place schedule next year, um, or presumably they'll have the second-place. Maybe place, first place. Or maybe first-place <laughs> schedule um, next year. Uh, but, you know, I think it's just something to keep an eye on going forward with, you know, who they're going to be facing as opposed to who they did this year. Now, I will go ahead. I'll acknowledge the person who's in their car screaming at us or doing a workout and have ripped their headphones out in anger. Yes, the Browns are on their fourth quarterback. Yes. So certainly the Browns are a team that probably deserves some of those breaks. Yes, absolutely. And, and listen, this is what you're supposed to do, right? When you get these, when you, when you get to face Clayton Toon, you better beat the Cardinals 27 to nothing. And they did. When you face Ryan Tannehill, who can't even move, you better beat that football team. So for the most part, Ashley, the Browns have taken advantage of the luck that's gone their way. Even when 
kind of the luck on their side hasn't exactly gone their way. Yeah, I think that's true, right? This is just life in the NFL. And I think, I don't even remember all the crazy stats about, you know, not just even having to play four quarterbacks, but to win games with four different quarterbacks on their side. I mean, it's pretty impressive that they have a winning record at all, let alone are still mathematically in the running for the division, are in the driver's seat for a wild card spot. They have taken care of business against these teams that, you know, they should have. But I will say over these last three games, we know even though there's backups coming their way, you know, Case Keenum, it might not necessarily be an easy out. The Texans are better than we thought they were going to be. Jake Browning has been playing really well in Cincy. Um, And then the Jets are the Jets, but have a really good defense (laughs) still, even though the quarterback situation there is what it is. So that's also life in the NFL that you you have to take advantage of those moments because even when they're there, they're still not necessarily easy, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, the Jets could show up and force four turnovers and then you end up losing a weird game like like that. What if they force four turnovers and score two or three defensive touchdowns? Then all of a sudden it becomes that Steelers game in week two. And it doesn't really matter that the offense is incompetent. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the point that that I keep trying to make here is that um, they needed a bunch of things to go their way in a year where they are battered and beat up. I mean, they, once again, as you mentioned, they're down to their fourth quarterback, and they don't have Nick Chubb, and they don't have Jack Conklin, and they don't have their two offensive tackles, other offensive tackles right now. And so, you know, they needed things to go like this for them, or there's a pretty good chance that they would not be holding the number five seed, the top wild card card spot right now. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing is the last time we kind of saw this team, not healthy, but like as healthy as we were probably going to see them was was probably that last Ravens game. And, you know, that's the best quarterback they faced this year. He might be the MVP and they won that game. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's been a frustrating part of this season, and it's a credit to this team that they didn't just fold after that happened. They've they've rallied. They end up stumbling into Joe Flacco, and now here they are with everything's kind of set up for them to at least get the wild card. And Mary Kay, you wrote yesterday about how um, the, the AFC North is not out of the question if they're able to catch up to and tie the Ravens. If the Ravens stumble here when they play San Francisco Monday night, Miami, and then they play uh, the Steelers in the last week. So if they go one and two or whatever, then that AFC North could end up with the Browns. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance. There's a, at least a decent chance that the Browns can win out because they are facing backup quarterbacks in all three of their remaining games. Um, and then, as you said, conversely, the the Ravens have a really, really tough schedule. They're playing an 11 and three team, and a 10 and four team the rest of the way. Uh, So, and also, they are also playing the Pittsburgh Steelers in their finale. But, you know, that's tough. To go out to San Francisco and have to beat the 49ers out there, I think that's going to be hard. And, um, you know, if the Browns win this game, which I think they're going to win this game. I think the Browns are going to win. And if if they do that, to go to 10 and 5 and then the the Ravens lose in San Francisco which could happen and the Browns to to go to 11 and 4 and the Browns end up one game behind them can you imagine the conversation after uh, the Ravens lose that game i mean it's going to be all about you know the Browns chances of winning the AFC North 
which will increase exponentially if that happens. Right now, it's only 4%. Um, but if that happens this weekend, I think that's going to be basically the talk of the town. Okay, so that's the direction I'm going to go here is, uh, you know, because I feel so bad, you know, I, I feel bad that I brought up the quarterback. I brought all that stuff up. I feel like I'm making all of our listeners feel bad or get angry at us. But let's talk a little bit about the playoffs and the fact that this team has some clinching scenarios. I know we talked about it on uh, Tuesday's pod or Wednesday, whatever day we talked about it. Um, but I just think the reality is here for as much as we're going to play out these scenarios and there's eight different scenarios where the Browns could potentially clinch a playoff spot this week. The bottom line is it's really simple for this team. If they just show up every week and win, which I know isn't as simple as it sounds, but if they just show up and win, if they take care of business against Houston, if they beat a team they're supposed to against the Jets, and if they beat Jake Browning in the Bengals, they're going to the playoffs and nothing else really matters. Um, now, Baltimore is in the driver's seat. If they get to a certain number of wins, it's over. They're going to win the division. So the Browns don't control that. But I think it's important to remember here, Ashley, that the Browns are in this you know, enviable position where they are in control. They're going to the playoffs if they just simply show up and win a couple more games, really. And, I mean, it's crazy not only because of all the things that have happened to the Browns this year in terms of injuries and cycling through quarterbacks the way they've had to, but in general this year, like, the AFC has been so tight. Like, how many teams there are sitting around that eight-win mark right now? It's pretty remarkable that they are in one of those spots and have the tiebreakers that they do and are in a position this week for clinching scenarios to even exist. I think... Again, we say it all the time. If you had said in September, okay, Joe Flacco is going to be the quarterback of this team by the time they get to week, you know, 14 or whatever it was, we'd have been like, oh, assuming at the very least that that probably meant the playoffs were not really going to be factoring into much of what the Browns did down the stretch of the year. But not only are they factoring in, they are in control of their own destiny, essentially. They just have to keep winning. They don't have to rely on other teams losing for them to even have a chance at a wild card spot. They're in a great position right now. And it's, you know, it says a lot, I think, about what they've been able to do in terms of preparing everyone on their depth chart for when those opportunities have arose. And Mary Kay, I think one of the things that has stood out to me is just you know, sometimes this stuff can be overstated and it's really easy to point to this stuff after the fact when a team wins. But it really does feel like there's something going on in that locker room and, and with this head coach. And like, there, there's just a vibe. There's a vibe check. I, I feel like so much of the success this season has just been because of the culture, the vibes, whatever buzzword you want to use that we always kind of look back on hindsight when a team wins and say, well, yeah, that was a close-knit team. And I feel like in real time, we can kind of sense it with this group that they really, and David Njoku said it today, it feels like they really like each other. Absolutely, 100%. I really feel that about this team. And we've talked about this on the pod a little bit, that I feel like they are all pulling in the same direction this year. Uh, you know, in the past, even David Njoku wasn't always on board with the program. Then you had Jadavian Clowney that wasn't on board with the program last year. You had other guys in that situation. You had a defensive coordinator that the players didn't seem to be responding to or playing for that well last year. Um, you know, there were other things. I mean, when Baker Mayfield was here, he butted heads with Kevin Stefanski. So, you know, there just were always these issues. 
But I do think that Jim Schwartz and Bubba Ventrone came in and helped instill good culture on their respective sides of the ball. And, you know, Kevin's doing his thing, overseeing the whole process. And then from a front office standpoint, and Joe mentioned this the other day, Joe Flacco, you know, it's a locker room full of guys that love ball. They love the game. And they're, you know, they're good guys. You know, it's a locker room full of good guys that are all, they're all pulling in the same direction. And when you fill up your locker room with those kind of guys, that's culture. That's, that's what culture stems from is filling up the locker room with guys that are selfless and that are going to put the team first. Team first guys are what you need. And I think that they've done a wonderful job of assembling that kind of a crew this year. Yeah, and it, you know, it's this is a longer pod, but it's funny how hey, when you have a head coach for four years, he's able to put his stamp on an organization and kind of say, This is the type of player I want. You know, like I don't think Kevin Stefanski wants what like Mike Tomlin wants, right? Like Mike Tomlin doesn't mind taking on a George Pickens. Now, obviously that hasn't gone well over the last month, but he doesn't mind having an Antonio Brown and a Le'Veon Bell and a George having this locker room that can be a little chaotic and have huge personalities. Not that Kevin is anti-personality, but like he doesn't want to deal with that stuff. I don't think he wants it to be a lot of the stuff that you said. And when you've got a coach who's been here for this long and can put a stamp on a team, it's, you start to see it. And that's just something this organization hasn't had really ever since they've come back. Yeah, I mean, I think that just speaks to how important it is to have some consistency there. And you're right, I mean, this is the first time I can think of in my lifetime that it's really been here, at least since I've been aware of the NFL, since the team was here, you know, in the (laughs) night. I was born in 92, et cetera, et cetera. But in my time remembering them, this is the first time you do really get to see that. And I do think, again, like a lot of that stuff can sound like, coach speak and player speak, but it does matter at the end of the day. They're kind of like cliches. I wrote that in a column last week. Sometimes coach and player speak, it's like cliches. They don't get said if they're not true to some extent, at least, right? And I think this year we are kind of seeing that culture stuff play out. I think I made everybody mad. Ashley just told us she was born in 1992. <laughs> she just made a whole bunch of people angry. I'm so sorry. What were you listening. doing in 1992, Dan? I was 12 years old, so I don't know what grade. I guess that would be, what, seventh grade? Okay, there you go. So, Browns fan? Uh, I was more of a basketball fan. Okay. I didn't really – I followed the Browns, but yeah. I wasn't, like, a huge football fan. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. All right, there we go. Little time, <laughs> little time travel here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. <laughs> We're gonna. Lance Risen might have been playing football at Kent State in 1992. I have to look that. Up. I don't know. I don't know what that timeline was, but he, he might have been playing quarterback at Kent State that year. There you go. Anyway, I'd ask him, but we already recorded that segment. Lance Risen coming up next. We're gonna take a break, and then you're gonna hear from Tyler Shoemaker, and then we'll be back to make our picks for Sunday's game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast as we continue our preview of the Browns-Texans on Sunday. And as we do every Friday, we welcome on Lance Riceland for a scouting report. Lance, how are you? I'm very well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. All right, let's get to it. You know, he's probably not going to play, but I do just want to get your thoughts on C.J. Stroud, um, who has sort of taken the league by storm. Um, as, as I think it was Greg Newsome who said this, he's not just a great rookie quarterback. He's a great quarterback at this point. What has allowed Stroud to be so successful? Well, first thing, you know, so you look at his numbers, right? So he's thrown for two, he's thrown, he's 275 for 441 for, you know, completing about 62% of his passes for, you know, almost 3,600 yards. And he's got 20 touchdowns and he's got five, only five interceptions. And when I watch him on film, the thing that I think what everybody's talking about being more than just a rookie is that his anticipation, his accuracy, and his processing is way above um, anything you usually see from a rookie, his ability to process, you know, a lot of times with rookies, they'll try to half field read it. So pre-snap, you're going to cut the field in half and then post-snap read this half. He's doing full, uh, full reads, uh, when healthy, they got Nico Collins, they got Noah Brown, they had Tank Dell, Dalton Schultz, they had four guys that can really get out and go. They have re- Singletary's a really good back. He had one, you know, 120 plus last week. So they had a really complete offense where he could kind of go where he needed to go. It wasn't relying on just one guy. So he's able to process information and get it to the open guy. And if you can protect and pass protect it, it, quarterbacks in the NFL, he's just processing so well and he's so incredibly accurate and he's got green, great arm talent. He anticipates windows uh, very, very, very well schooled. Uh, under day at Ohio State, and you can see it. He's just the pass game is not it's not um, it's not new to him, um, it's not foreign to him, and he's really confident in what he does. And then he, you know the other thing is he has a great presence, uh, poise and presence, and uh, it, it's way past rookie. He's a, he's an elite guy. He's a top ten guy, uh, just as a quarterback, not just a rookie. What do you think people were missing about him in the draft process? I mean, obviously he went number two overall, so he was clearly a highly thought of prospect. But, you know, it was always Bryce Young was the clear number one, then CJ. Um, and, of course, that's how it played out. Um, but, but what were people missing with him? Because it almost feels like everybody overthought this. Of course, there was that testing stuff, which I don't, I don't know about all that. But um feels like people really overthought this when in the end it should have just been, hey, did you see what he did against Georgia? You know, I've been. We go back to our. If you go back to our uh, our pods for the draft, but I've been really hot and really cold on a lot of these guys. And, and you know, I love C.J. Stroud because of his size. Um, that was my only thing against Bryce Young is that can he survive in the NFL? Uh, and I said that to you after standing down there on the sidelines for two years and watching those guys practice. You're like, how if, if you're under if you're not 220 pounds, how do you survive these guys running into you? Uh, I think C.J. Stroud because he plays at Ohio State and you're you're surrounded by elite talent. Um, that can hurt you at times because obviously you should complete the ball if you're throwing to Olave and Garrett, you know you're throwing to these guys, right? So uh, those three receivers that were on his team, they're they're all in the NFL and they're all high level guys in the NFL. They have great defenses, they have great offense. So I think the skill around him, uh, you also get that uh, that uh, Ryan Day, not just Ryan Day, but that college type offense where you're consistently in the gun, uh, even though they went under center a little bit more. Ryan Day has gone under center a little bit more, but you're consistently in the gun. There's not a lot of processing going on in terms of it's one and done. You're getting the ball out quickly. It's all signaling from the sidelines. 
Um, so I think the system, the college system hurt him a little bit because he's coming from the wide open spread offense, which is becoming more common in the NFL as well. But I think you get that stereotype, right? That you come from Ohio State, you come from USC, you come from the Air Raid, Texas Tech, right? That was Mahomes, right? You can't, he's in a system, right? And when you're, and I think the big thing that hurt him is just he's surrounded with these guys. But if you watch the film, he's incredibly accurate and he anticipates very well. Now, the thing is a lot of run after catch and things that you got last year. They're, they're, they're big because of how good those Ohio State receivers are. But if you had to ask me, I would say it's because who he's surrounded with. Um, because he's surrounded with these elite talent guys, um, and that's what made him good, and w- which we're now learning it was him that was just as important as the receivers. Okay, so we spent all that time on Stroud, but he's probably not going to play in this game. So now we've got to talk about uh, an old friend, Case Keenum. So when you watch this offense with Keenum, what does it look like? Well, Keenum, just like with Stroud, so they've given up 38 sacks this year. So they give up a lot of pressure. Now, when you look at the IR, they've had a ton of injuries like the uh, like the Browns have up front. They've had three or four guys go on IR and up front on defense. Guys have missed games. So they've been banged up like the Browns have in terms of losing guys for a long extended periods of time. So they've struggled in pass protection. Keenum, me, is a gamer, right? So if you look at guys who are, are really good backups, Keenum falls into that line. He can manage the game. He's a guy you can win with. He's not. He's not a guy you can win because of. Stroud's a guy you win because of, and that's a big difference when you, in the NFL uh, if you don't have elite players at all those positions. Now, Nico Collins has been hurt. Uh, I think Dalton Schultz is an elite tight end. I think that's their best matchup this week, uh, but he's a gamer. So last week he was 23 of 36, but he had a big drive to tie it up. So he hit Dalton Schultz three times and then had a big throw to Noah Brown for the touchdown. So he makes big throws in big moments. Uh, the thing you can do with him, and the same thing with his here, is if you consistently get pressure on him, and don't let him get the second short, third and short, and make him a pass passer first, he'll turn the ball over. He'll give you the football, and the Browns are going to create – Browns aren't going to do anything different. They're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. They're going to they're going to ambush that run game, and they're going to cover with their guys. So uh, I think it'll be a long day for – in my opinion, it's going to be a long day. It's a bad matchup for them uh, because the Browns are so good at stopping the run right now. Um, and with those injuries they've had uh, up front, I don't know if they can hold up. We'll see. So – Offensively, what do the Texans kind of run out there personnel-wise? Well, Singletary has 711 yards, uh, has 700 on the year. For last week, he had um, uh, he had 21, 121 yards on 26 carries. He averaged, he averaged 4.7 per. So they're going to be – the thing that hurts them is interesting is they got a fullback. So they like to run a fullback in there. They'll go 21 personnel. They'll go 12 personnel. They'll go 13 personnel. They're going to try to pound you. And last week they tried to run the ball. They started off with some zone schemes and then had some success with some gap schemes in the second quarter. And then in the second half, they got pretty physical and just started running duo and zone vertically and just started moving the Titans off the ball, uh, which led to you know him having you know, Singletary having 121 yards. That doesn't work against the Browns, not because they're not tough, because the Browns have too many guys in there. The Browns will say, if you're going to go 21 personnel, we're putting eight in there. And they do it every single time, and that's a short staple. So I'm not sure what they're going to do. Nico Collins is a game changer because he's 6'4", 215. He's a matchup nightmare for most teams. For the Browns, he's not because Emerson can match up with him lengthwise. Uh, you know, the Browns' second, I think their best matchup without question is Dalton Schultz. He had three catches last week. He's a matchup that the, they can attack, especially with Delpit being out. He's a guy that maybe can attack Bell. Um, Hickman, even though Hickman's long. So the Browns personnel matches up with these guys who have some give other people matchup issues. So um, they're going to try to run the ball early. They're going to try to get a second short. I, I don't think they can do it. And, and I think it's going to be a long day for them. I really do. So obviously, longtime listeners of this podcast, going back to the, the draft process, will remember the name Tank Dell. If they've been paying attention to the NFL, of course, this year they'll know the name Tank Dell. 
the answer here is a lot, but what specifically did they lose with Tank Dell being out for the year? Well, he was, he's the guy. So we, I liked, I was, he was one of my crushes during, uh, I think Tim, I think all three of us really liked him, but he is a guy who's super, super explosive. He's not real big, but he's the kind of guy that gave them exactly what you want when you have Stroud, right? So he can run those option routes. He runs the bubbles. He runs the the quick option routes. He runs the RPO slants. He's uh, really good in space. Uh, he could take a short hitch and take it to the house. He, he gives you the vertical threat, uh, extremely fast in a small area, explosive, twitchy, all those all those football words we like to use as coaches, but he's got them all right. So I really, you know, he's got, he had 700 plus yards, uh, really, really uh, added a, uh, just a spark. Right. And then when you add him with the Noah Brown who's 6'2", 215 and Nico Collins, who's 6'4", 215 and Dalton, uh, and then you got Schultz who's underneath as that tight end who attacks safeties and stuff and Singletary running the ball. They just had a really good dynamic offense that could be really, really balanced. Um, without him, you lose that threat. You lose that guy in space, that short guy that can make something happen, those easy yards. So really, really excellent player. Loved him coming out. Uh, thought he was explosive. He's turned out to everything we thought he would be. So he, he really good player, really huge loss for them. Let's flip it to the other side. Uh, this defensive front, tell me about it. Everybody talks about Will Anderson. I like Will Anderson, but Grenard's the guy. Grenard is the guy who got 12 and a half sacks, a lot of tackles for a loss. Um, he gets after it. So he's a super aggressive. He they play in that they'll get some wide threes and wide fives like the Browns do, but he's a really good pass rusher. And the Browns gotta make sure they block him in the pass game. Uh, I think Kevin Stefanski's the master of that. He does a great job of helping tackles when they need ha- uh, helped. Uh, if they're going to get rid of the ball, he'll expect you – know, when we talk about a veteran quarterback, uh, Flacco will know when that tackle's not getting help on Grenard and he'll get rid of the football. That's what a veteran quarterback does. So they're not going to let him dictate the game. The Browns have never let – you know, for the most part, have never let a guy just completely ruin their offensive game plan. Inside, they got to block Malik uh, – they got a couple guys inside that I really like. Uh, Malik Collins is the guy in the run game they're going to have to double. He's really violent, stout, heavy guy in there. Um, a couple guys, uh, you know, Sheldon Rankins is another guy who's heavy in there. So they've had some guys that they're just – they're none of them are A-pluses, but they're – I think Grenard's really, really good. Their backers are really good. So you got you got three guys that can really – they're tackle, tackle guys, but they don't cover very well. Perriman's an animal. He runs all over the field very much like, in my opinion, like a JOK. He's a, he's a headhunter, and he's a really good player. But going back to the front, it's Grenard. you got to stop Grenard in the pass game, and you got to stop Collins. you got to double Collins in the run game. It seems to me like – too. It's, they're not just a good pass rushing team, but they also are really good against the run as well. And then when you kind of pair that with this Browns uh, offensive line that is going to be down two tackles, seems like Joel Batonio is going to be back out there. Seems like Ethan Posick is going to be back out there. We'll see about both of those guys. But uh, the, you know, it seems like this defensive line, sort of like the Browns, can do a little bit of both. Yeah, you know, it's a, the key, you know, it'll be interesting. Defensive lines, the linebackers definitely uh, take are helped by the defensive line. So you got Cashman, Harris, um, Perryman. Cashman's been hurt, didn't play last week. I don't know if he's coming back or not, but he's their leading tackler. He's really aggressive. That defensive line, you know, the Browns are not going to run the ball like everybody wants the Browns to run the ball. And everybody talks about yards per carry. To me, that means nothing anymore. What the Browns have to do is they have to have timely runs in timely situations. Third down pickup, uh, occasionally get a good first down run to get you a second four play action first down where you can hit a home run, uh, et cetera, et cetera. This is not going to be a team that scores 35 points, I don't think. What the Browns are is they have to be situational things. They have to be situational passing, situational running. So if they get if they get four to seven runs that are between four and eight yards that get you to second short or picks up a first down or get you out from your own goal line, they need good situational runs. Again, I'll say it over and over. If they end every drive in a kick, 
right? Last week, Bears scored three points. And that, so that's what they really got to focus on. And that defensive line, this is a good defense. They only give up 93 yards rushing a game. They're very stout. They're very, very well coached. They're gap sound. Uh, they're going to make you throw the ball. Um, I think the Browns have the advantage. I don't know if that's, you know, stinging those guys outside and Nelson are good, but I think inside, if they move Cooper to the slot, uh, Najoku, that's where their advantage is. Yeah, it seems like you feel like Najoku could maybe do some damage in this game if the Browns target him a little bit more. Yeah, you know, their safeties are okay. So their their corners are really good. Stingley's going to be an elite guy, but their safeties are aggressive guys. So sometimes, and I don't like to say uh, they're they're not good in coverage, I think guys like Grant Delpit, we all know Grant Delpit, sometimes are susceptible to coverage because they're aggressive. And there's a big difference between being uh, susceptible to the pass and being aggressive. And occasionally those, you know, this is a very aggressive defense. Those linebackers are very aggressive for the Texans. And the safeties are very aggressive for the Texans. They like to get their, their nose involved. And when that happens, sometimes you get beat over the top. Sometimes you get beat on crossing routes. Sometimes you get beat on that play action that, you know, be t- over the top of the linebackers and before the safeties. And that's where Njoku and I think Cooper can really work because um, outside they're pretty good. And uh, so, you know, I look for them to motion Cooper out in the slot, put him at three sometimes. Njoku, Njoku's a for sure advantage. He's better. He's he's faster than Cashman. He's faster than Harris. And he's a lot bigger and longer than Perriman. So I think he's a matchup nightmare, uh, but they know that too. So their Browns are going to have to be creative in how they get him, him open too. He's been really good lately too. So there'll be a good chess match in there. As usual, you're going to be first up making your pick here on the podcast. Who do you like in this game? You know, I once again, I'm going to come down to matchups, and I think this is really – we've said it like four weeks in a row, and the games have kind of played into what we – you know, kind of what we thought in terms of they're going to be – they're not going to be flashy, and I think the Browns win again. I think they – I think Flacco um, – I would, I would have picked the um, – if Stroud plays – if he was healthy, I would, even if he played because he wouldn't have practiced. If Stroud was healthy, this is going to be a tough going on the road late in the season. But I like the Browns. I like the Browns 21-13. And I like them because I think uh, I don't think the Texans can too much if – I'm not sure if Collins is going to be healthy. Just the injuries, just the amount of injuries they had, very similar to the Browns. Uh, it, we'll, see if they, it, we'll see if the Texans can, it can play like the Browns have, which they might. But I, I like the Browns uh, in a defensive slug, slugfest for sure. Okay, look, this is a big game in Houston. Uh, I don't know that anyone expected it to have this much meaning, maybe. Uh, not on the Browns' side, but certainly for the Texans' side. Uh, they've been one of the, the surprises of the NFL this year. So this game, uh, just full of wild card implications as both of these teams. Hey, the, both teams are still alive in their divisions, in fact. So who knows? Maybe this is the game that propels somebody to a division title even. So uh, a big game here, and that is Lance Reisland breaking down the Houston Texans as he does every single Friday on our preview podcast. We'll do it a little earlier next week, Lance, because of the Thursday night game. Uh, But it's been great talking to you as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, previewing the Browns and Texans. And as we do every Friday, we welcome on Tyler Shoemaker. Tyler, how are you? I've been better, Dan. Uh, this is going to be my <laughs> flu game pod, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully that, that leads to us catching some best this week. But I think we went 2-1 uh, and one on our Browns picks last week, so we'll, we'll take that. 
But yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and do my best uh, Scotty Pippen impression, uh, dragging you off the court here. I mean, yeah, we, look, you, you might hear my daughter hacking and coughing in the background. So there's <laughs> there's just stuff going around everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we need uh, we, we need to get someone to, to make that graphic for us of, of the, the Jordan Pippen flu game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's get to this. Um, let, let's get your updated index rankings here with your top five. Yeah, so pretty much the same order as last week, but I I do have an interesting note. So the Niners, number one, again, by a point and a half. So they've they've separated themselves here over the last few weeks. Ravens still at number two. Cowboys still at number three, but barely holding on. They're three-tenths of a point ahead of the Bills at number four. And the Dolphins sneak back in at number five. The interesting thing with the Bills, I saw someone tweet this week, they do like a metric consensus of a bunch of different models. Uh, Mine's not included in that. And the Bills are like the consensus number two team, according to a lot of computer models, but uh, I've got them number four. So I I thought that was an interesting nugget. Uh, I think some of these other models are maybe reacting more to the last few weeks. You know, the Bills have really turned it on, whereas my numbers are going to look more at at what they've done over the course of the season, which has been good. But I mean, obviously, I've got them number four. So they've been good, but not elite, you know, number two. Yeah. And that's interesting because even at number four, you know, that's obviously that... That's higher than the Bills' actual on-field record, right? Their actual on-field performance. So um, right. I, I guess when you see something like that, how do you kind of view the Bills moving forward? Yeah, I mean, what that tells me is that they're playing well right now. But, you know, I've designed my model to not be too reactive, especially at this point in the season, not to be too reactive to recent games and and really look at the full body of work. Because even even in a 17 game regular season, I mean, 17 data points is not a ton. So I want to count them all. Uh, So I I think what that tells me is these other models are really weighing these recent games uh, way more heavily than, than the full season, which there's no right or wrong. I don't think, but my, my personal philosophy is to, to weigh all the games uh, evenly. Okay. And we'll get it, you know, since you've got the Niners one Ravens two, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that one, two matchup a little later. Um, Bottom five, the Hugh Jackson five, what do you have? Yeah, uh, Cardinals coming in number 28, uh, the Patriots right behind them, and then a small gap, about a point gap to the Panthers. The Giants, after a terrible performance last week, almost at the bottom. They're 31st, uh, but the Commanders still with a almost a full point lead as the bottom team in, in the league for me right now. It feels like that that bottom five has stayed pretty pretty steady over the last few weeks but how about the panthers good good for the panthers moving moving on up in the world here yeah yeah Um, okay let's talk about this game browns at texans uh this is one this is one of those you know we've talked about it a ton on this pod this is one of those lines that moved as news started to come out that it looks like cj strat is not going to come back now he has not officially been ruled out but all the reporting from houston right now points to case keenum making another start for the Texans. So here's a line that had the Texans favored, at least at one point. Now that it's going to be Joe Flacco versus Case Keenum, the Browns are favored by two and a half. Uh, where, where do you have this game? And, and I'm really curious about this, especially because, you know, you don't really factor in injuries. You just factor in performance. So where, right. where do you have this game? Yeah, so I make it Texans minus one. Uh, so, I mean, that that tells me that the odds makers think CJ Stroud is not going to play, like you said, so I mean I I get that I don't I don't think that's too drastic of a move. Uh, the last time I looked, the line was Browns minus two and a half. So I mean, if you want to tell me CJ Stroud's worth three and a half points of the spread, I'll buy that. I think that's reasonable. 
you know, whereas we've seen some of these, you know, like the Deshaun Watson injury moves the line six, seven points. And I think that's outrageous, but three and a half, I think is, is a reasonable line move here. Uh, again, on the total, I project 44, uh, it was sitting at 40 the last time I checked. So, you know, some value on the over, but not nearly as much as we've seen from my numbers here in, in recent weeks on the Browns. So I'm, I'm a little bit more in line with, with odds makers here on this game. Okay, so if I if I've learned, see if I've learned anything from you for doing this now for 16 weeks. So it doesn't feel like there's a ton of value uh, necessarily in either of these. There might be a little bit, but not a ton of value in just the line or the total. Yeah, because I mean, again, four points on the total, not factoring in the injury. I mean, you tell me CJ Stroud's worth four points to the total. That's probably a little high, but you know, even at two, three points, that still gets us right there in that range where I don't really feel like I have a huge edge and, and wouldn't really want to bet it. Okay, so you know, last week we hit on that Joe Flacco two touchdowns. Uh, took a little while, but we did get there. So, uh, what do you like in this game? Yeah, this this was another game that was kind of hard to to make some picks because one, I didn't see a ton of props available, and uh, as far as the props go, the projection sites that I use, I don't know, I don't know why the CJ Stroud injury would affect the Browns projections, but they have been slow rolling those Browns um, prop projections out. So I've been a little limited here this week in trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this game. But I found a couple things that I like. One thing that we've kind of gone to several times here, and that's the Browns first half over nine and a half. Uh, I I like that. Like I said, I do show us a small bit of value on the over in this game. So the angle I'm going to take there is the Browns first half over nine and a half. Uh, I, I think it was uh, minus 120. So you got to lay a little bit of juice there. But uh, again, with with a limited menu of, of bets, I, this is one that has cash for us pretty much every time we've we've made it. Uh, Browns have been a good first half team, as, as you pointed out. So I'm, I'm going to go back to the Browns first half over here. Yeah, just just so people know, we record these on Thursday morning. So some weeks there's there's going to be a few more options than others, especially when we're dealing with a game um, with with injuries and and things like that. Um, I am curious, uh, and, and we're gonna actually, I mean, we'll record before that Thursday night game. But I do wonder, just looking ahead, the Browns travel uh, coming home to play the Jets on Thursday night. Have you noticed any trends for teams? who play Thursday night games, whether it's, you know, unders hit on Thursday nights, anything like that. What are some of the, and I'm just springing this on you because it just popped <laughs> in my head, but, yeah, but are I, there any Thursday night trends that the Browns fans should, should keep in mind? I will look into that. I do know yeah. that it, it's hard with trends because it's like a trend is valuable until it becomes super widely known. And then the eyes makers start to shade the number and then the trend doesn't matter anymore. So uh, be careful when you hear these trends. I do know uh, on on Thursday night primetime games, unders do tend to hit at a at a higher rate. I'll get I'll get some exact trends for you uh, when we when we do that pod. But I definitely would be looking to bet an under, and you definitely would would lean more towards the underdog in those in those situations. But again, that's only as valuable as the the secret that's kept. And once it gets out, you know the the line starts to move. Everybody everybody starts to react to that. The betting market moves, and then it's it doesn't really matter anymore. So we'll we'll see as we as we get there. But just generally speaking, those are two things that you you will see quite a bit on on Thursday night games. Yeah, and and also look at trend as a trend until it's not. Um, yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Uh, what's your favorite bet this week? <sighs> okay, brace yourselves. Um, the Chargers who lost by like a million points last week to the Raiders. Plus 12 against the Bills this week, who we talked about. I think situationally, this is like a home run of a spot. I know that makes me look crazy, but that's 
kind of how betting works. The crazier you look, the better the bet it is sometimes. I'm going to take the Chargers plus 12 against against the Bills. I mean, I only project this Bills minus three and a half. Again, not accounting for uh, Justin Herbert not playing. But again, okay, so say he's worth three and a half points like C.J. Stroud is to the spread. That puts it at Bills minus seven. I think 12 is a huge overreaction to what we saw last week. I know they they cleaned house with their coaching staff. Um, these are professionals. I have a hard time, you know, laying 12 points with a, with a favorite like that. So I'm going to take the Chargers off a terrible loss. No one's going to want to bet them this week. Um, this, this line's super inflated. So I'm going to take the Chargers plus 12. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, you know, just sort of, <laughs> I guess I'd call them gut feeling things in that game, right? A team coming off a bad loss sometimes that's that's a chance to to get to get at them. Um, sometimes that new coach bump, we we see that sometimes. So, yep. you know, th- those are a couple things too when, when it comes to the Chargers. Like, n- no one expects anything out of that team, and that's all of a sudden when a team shows up and at least covers a, a line like that. What's your least favorite bet? What's your stay away this week? You know, I've stayed away from the Jets quite a bit. They play the Commanders this week, so that's like ugly of all ugly. I I don't want anything to do with that game. I don't blame you. I don't think anyone wants anything to do with that game. Uh, to be honest, okay. Yeah. Let's. I mean, from like from a, from a numbers standpoint on that game, like looking at all my different formulas. I mean, they range on the spread. They range from two and a half to seven, and on the total, they range from thirty three to 42. So like I my numbers don't know what to do with that game. I don't know what to do with that game, so I'm I'm staying away. Okay, I'm looking here just scrolling through. I'm looking at a Saturday game that has a that has some stakes for the Browns. Uh Bengals at Steelers. And I like I know the Steelers have been struggling. I know the underdog Mike Tomlin thing has taken some hits here, but I wonder is 37, this is a, a weird thing to say because 37 is not a high number, but is 37 too high for this game? So I project it at 41. I, again, it's it's one of those like matchups where it's like, okay, the, my number says over, but man, I would have a hard time betting an over in Steelers Bengals, especially, uh, you know, Jamar Chase is kind of banged up for the Bengals. I don't know what his status is as we record here on Thursday. So, you know, without Jamar Chase, I mean, obviously they're at Jake, had Jake Browning at quarterback, who's actually played really well. So I, I don't know what to make of the Bengals. I wouldn't want to bet an over. I think if anything in that game, I would want to play the Steelers plus the points. Yeah, Pittsburgh at home um, as an underdog. And, you know, Mike Tomlin kind of back against the wall here. A lot of talk about his job. Again, some of those <laughs> some of those kind of just gut feeling things, I yep. guess, in, in that game. Okay, so you mentioned it off the top. The, the 49ers are number one. The Ravens are number two uh, in in your latest ratings. So when you look at that game on Monday night, what how how do you kind of project that? Yeah, uh, so the line was at five and a half the last time I checked. I project Niners Niners minus five and a half. I project Niners minus four and a half. So you know, pretty much in line with odds makers there. <clears throat> Excuse me, the total uh, forty six and a half. I project forty five and a half. So, I mean, I'm pretty much in lockstep with odds makers. Uh, I think if I was going to play anything in that game, I would play an over. I think both those teams are are capable, even though my number is a point below the the total. I That's one of those where I can kind of make a um, call with my head. And I, I think that game goes over. Looking at one of my formulas, it projects 57 and a half. 
So that that tells me, you know, there's there's the potential for this to get really pointsy. So I think if I was going to play anything here, I'd play an over. Okay, well, good luck to everyone who wants to watch that game on Christmas Christmas night. <laughs> good luck convincing your family to not watch It's a Wonderful Life or whatever. Everybody sit down and watch 49ers Ravens. Um, and good luck if you bet that game as well. It, uh, it should be a, a fun game and a great way to wrap up uh, the weekend. Tyler, where can everybody find you? Yeah, follow me on X at T-Shoot Index. I'm in full swing right now with with bowl season NFL, men's and women's college basketball. We're really, really got the college basketball rolling. Uh, follow all my best bets and writing at vsan.com. And of course, I'm here every Friday with with Dan. Yes, Tyler, a very busy man right now. And uh, obviously, we, we appreciate you coming on this pod, making time to come on this pod. And today, especially appreciate you fighting through to uh, to come on and help everybody out a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad my voice held up at least 90% of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Tyler. All right. Thanks, Dan. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks to Lance. Thanks to Tyler. It is time for our way too early picks for Sunday's game. I mean, Mary Kay, you already let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> you are going to be picking the Browns to win this game. So why don't you lead us off? Yeah, you know what? I just feel like uh, they have gotten to the point in the season where they know how vitally important each one of these games are for them. I think that, I think that Joe Flacco is someone that can really guide them through this time, through the crunch time. You know, he's been there. Uh, he has now started, I think, 102 games. Um, and and he just knows how to navigate these tight playoff crunch waters. And so I think he can get them through this. I think he has plenty of talent to be able to go out there and do what he needs to do, even though the line has some woes. So I think, you know, David Njoku's really heating up with him. Amaria's heating up with him. We saw it. A deep ball to Marquise Goodwin. Uh, Said is up and down a little bit, Cedric Tillman. Uh, but, you know, he rebounded from being the intended on a couple of picks to, to really pulling it together last week. So I think they have enough firepower offensively to get it done. And I think the defense, even though there are still so many injuries on defense, I still think it's a deep, strong, solid defense with one of the best players in the NFL, in Miles Garrett, and I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win, um, and I'm going to go with a score of probably around, I think maybe 24 to 20, which is very close to what I picked last week, or it might be exactly what I picked last week. Okay, so Ashley, do you want to? Actually, can I? You mentioned Sed Tillman, and I think that's interesting, and I think we're seeing some glimpses of maybe why Sed was inactive for so long. Like, there's still some work to be done there with with Sed, I think. So. Um, we'll we'll kind of see it speaks to the receiver issues they've had all year. Uh, but Ashley, what's your pick for this one? Yeah, I think I'm also going to go with the Browns. And maybe this is largely a vibes pick. I think after last week, I was right in it being a weird game <laughs> last week with maybe a weird score, even though I was not right in picking the Bears to win that game, even though they came close there for a while. But I agree with Mary Kay. I think right now the way they're playing 
It just feels like every game is in their grasp. It feels like Joe Flacco is kind of the player mentor that this group needed. And I do think if C.J. Stroud was playing for Houston, it would make this a bit different for me. And I would have to start to wonder, okay, are these injuries going to really, are the Browns going to feel these injuries going up against him, knowing how well he's been playing, coupled with a defense that's been playing really well. But I do think these guys are going to have a handle on Case Keenum. And I just, I feel like they're going to win. This is maybe my best rationale at this point (laughs) is that it's just a vibes pick. So I'm going to go Browns 28, Texans 20. Yeah, I think if C.J. Stroud were playing and if Tank Dell were healthy, I would pick the Texans. Um, but C.J. Stroud doesn't look like he's going to play. Um, still, I mean, he didn't even practice on Thursday, so I think it's, we've, we've been saying it all week. He's not going to play. Um, Tank Dell's out for the season. I... I don't know. Do I really believe this team is going to lose to Case Keenum? I know they haven't been as good on the road. I am worried about the turnovers. I think the turnovers are going to get them. But then also I've been thinking maybe maybe Sunday was the game when all that stuff was going to catch up to them. And they figured out a way to come back from 10 points down in the fourth quarter and win. So I just, I can't pick this team to lose to Case Keenum. I can't do it. I think Case is fine. Whatever. He is what he is. But I think the Browns are going to win this game. And I think you know, I think it'll be close. I, th- I think every game this team plays is going to be close from here on out. I'm going to go a little lower scoring, I think, um, than you guys did. So I'm going to say, I got to make sure I don't pick the same score I did last week. I think I said 19-17 last week. So I'm going to say Browns 20 and let's say Texans 16. Let's go with a little bit of a weird score. We'll be in Houston. We're spending Christmas Eve in Houston. We're going to wake up on Christmas Day in Houston. That's the the dream, right, Mary Kay? That's what we all want to do with our lives. Absolutely. I am just hoping, hoping against hope, that our pilot and our crew doesn't call in sick on Christmas morning. We are all three of us uh, getting up and getting on a flight that leaves Houston at about 530 in the morning, I think it is. I think something like that. Going through St. Louis, getting home at 1030. And Dan, your kids... And my kids will probably still be, well, I don't know about yours, but my kids My will, kids don't care about me. They're whatever. <laughs> my kids will still be asleep uh, when I get home at 1030, I'm guessing. So I don't think anybody's really go- going to miss me on Christmas morning. Um, I am a little disappointed that, you know, that I will miss Christmas Eve. But, of course, we love our jobs and we're excited to go do this. And Houston has just a wonderful array of... <laughs> desserts and candies and all kinds of cool things. So I'm sure it will be a, a lovely Christmas Eve in the Houston press, press box. Of course. I mean, lots of people spend their Christmases in Houston. They live there, but eh, whatever, right? Christmas in Houston, Ashley. If you're a Southwest pilot, please, and you're listening to this and you, and you are booked for that flight from Houston to St. Louis to Cleveland, come to work that day. Please come to work for that those two flights, this is all we ask. The Houston Pilots and the St. Louis Pilots. Just make sure you're there to bring us back to Cleveland. And hopefully it's after a Browns win, too, so that all of Cleveland is happy when we arrive here. Impromptu fantasy draft, because I know Mary Kay's answer to this. Best Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh. Ashley? She took mine. I got to think. I'll go last. You go. Okay. Um, best Christmas movie. Uh, this, is just, this is way too high. I'm going to say, I think I'm going to go with Elf. 
I think that's so a good one. one. I was thinking, I'm literally okay. I I'll go home good. alone. Home okay, alone. that was my other. I was thinking Home Alone too, and I know I'm, I'm for. Alone. I know I'm forgetting. Really, it's, it's a Wonderful Life for me too. That's the. Let's see all. Have either of you ever seen Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? I a long time ago. never really watched it, but I have family members who loved that movie. That's so good. yeah. When I was little, that was one of the the favorite little traditions to to watch that. Watch it, Ashley. You would like it. George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber. It's cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Find us on Instagram, search orange and brown talk. Find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks to Lance. Thanks to Tyler. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.